singers and I, Ed Peters, welcome you to another broadcast of What's New. We continue on today in the second chapter of Acts, focusing on verses 30 and 31. These verses continue Peter's sermon to a crowd which numbered around 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. Psalm 16, a psalm of David, is made clear here in these verses. Now we know from Peter's first sermon recorded in Acts chapter 2 that David was not referring to himself in these verses. He was referring to the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Here once again are verses 29 through 31 and Luke writes as follows. Brother men, it is fitting that I speak plainly to you about the patriarch David, how he died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. So, being a prophet, and knowing that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his own descendants on his throne, he was looking ahead, and spoke of the resurrection of Christ, that he would not be abandoned to the realm of the dead, neither would his flesh see corruption.
You may read Psalm 16 and say, but I don't see anything in this psalm that says that Jesus Christ will rise from the dead. But now, after reading Simon Peter's sermon here in Acts chapter 2, we can go back and read Psalm 16, knowing that it does refer to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Now here to bring us today's study is Pastor Henry Harder. King David, 1,000 years before Jesus, wrote poetry. We call them psalms. In Psalm 16, he wrote of someone who died and was buried, but whose body didn't decay but came to life. Peter, on the day of Pentecost, trying to convince his Jewish audience that Jesus was raised from the dead, quotes David's words and refers them to Jesus. David couldn't have written about himself since his tomb was in Jerusalem. It was well known. It was a landmark. So Peter's point is that David really wrote about one of his descendants, about Jesus, the son of Mary. That would make David a prophet, which is what Peter calls him. Luke, recording Peter's talk, quotes Peter as saying these words about David. And he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. That's Acts chapter 2, verses 30 and 31. On the last program, I noted Peter's threefold evidence for the resurrection of Jesus. Number one, Peter quotes from the scriptures. The writers of the Old Testament predicted the death and resurrection of the Messiah. I focused on that one on the last program of What's New. Before I come to the second evidence which Peter surfaces, let me come back to a phrase Peter uses from David. David writes that Christ was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. Of course, Peter uses this verse as a prediction of Christ's resurrection. But there is also a hint here of immortality for every follower of Jesus. Actually, man was created for eternity. Man's body was created never to die. Death is not a result of our humanness. Death is the result of sin. When man sinned, he was assigned a life of pain and toil which terminated in physical dissolution. Before sin entered our human race, man didn't die. Death came as a punishment for sin. When Adam and Eve sinned, they were prevented from getting access to the tree of life, which would have prevented the beginning of dying. I say again, contrary to what some current theologians teach, death is not because of the fact that we are human. It is not due to our humanness. Adam and Eve were not dying before sin. They began to die only when sin entered mankind. God did not create death as a part of life. Death became a part of life because of sin. Because of sin, man lost his chance at immortality. But because of Christ's resurrection, because of his defeat of death, there is the possibility of man regaining the immortality that he lost. Just as death couldn't hold Jesus, who was sinless, just so death will not be able to hold the one who has Christ's resurrected life in him. Christ's resurrection is the guarantee of ours. 
I repeat, death was a judgment and a penalty for sin. Paul clearly states that. Sin entered the world through one man and death through sin. Again, Paul reminds the Romans that the wages of sin is death. Death was not a biological necessity before sin came. Now, of course, with our present physical makeup, death is a biological necessity. So since Jesus Christ was sinless, since he possessed eternal life intrinsically, death had no hold on him. The tomb and Hades had to let him go. God did not abandon his life to destruction. Having said that, I am forced to conclude that the process of death after Jesus died didn't begin in the body of Jesus. The decaying process in human sinful bodies begins immediately upon death, not so with Jesus. The second law of thermodynamics, namely that everything deteriorates, didn't operate in his body. Sin did not take its toll on him. His body did not even begin to self-destruct. David had written, nor did his body see decay. Death didn't have the slightest victory over Christ once sin was paid for. One final comment from the Apostle Paul. To the Corinthians he wrote, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as an Adam all die, so in Christ will all be made alive. Death in its totality, physical as well as spiritual, was conquered by Jesus Christ. And that victory is also the victory of everyone who receives Christ's life by faith. The resurrection of Christ tells us that death, man's greatest enemy, is forever defeated. Were you there?
What's new is a radio production of Creative Encounters. Our mailing address is Post Office Box 848, Chapter California, 93263, USA.